0: If you have your Bible, please take it and remain standing as we will read God's Word. Thank you, Jonathan, and praise team. I I just, I always appreciate not just the quality of the music that we have every Sunday, whether or not we have the choir or orchestra like we did last week, but... um, also the rich, rich content, the great theology that we are singing and that we're uh, enriching our souls with. Don't you agree? We are in a study of the pastoral epistles, and we've finished with 1 Timothy. Uh, Most of the home folks know that, but those of you who are visiting with us uh, just to bring you up to speed, we've gone chronologically, not in order that they are put in the Bible, but this would have been the next letter. In fact, could have been concurrent with First Timothy, and he writes it to another young pastor, someone he loved dearly, a young man named Titus, in a really tough situation. Uh, he was in a place where The churches on the island in every town, they were a mess. And so Paul gives him specific instructions about what to do, and we started a couple of weeks ago introducing the letter, and we continue today. Now, I will tell you, you've got the outline in front of you. Um, We're just going to get through the first two points. That doesn't mean we'll get out earlier, okay? (laughs) Okay. Because it really divides very well there, I wanted to give you the things that uh, would would be helpful to you today to see what Paul's heart was, God's heart through Paul uh, to Titus and to the rest of the church. So we will read this entire passage that's outlined for you here uh, in the uh, the outline in your worship guide. Starting in verse 5, chapter 1 of Titus, Paul says, this is why... I left you in Crete. Boy, it could have been a lot of things. Here it is. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Then let's skip down to verse 9. Last week, we went over the qualifications of the elders, so we're not going to do that again today but we're talking about an elder, the elder in a church, plurality of elders, that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction, that's the first thing, in sound doctrine, and also, second thing, to rebuke those who contradict it. Sound doctrine. Verse 10, he gives a description of what is going on in the churches. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. We'll talk more about that next week. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Wow. This testimony, Paul says, is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who Turn away from the truth to the pure. All things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Father, we see this catalog of sins And, uh, Lord, I, I just want to say in front of my brothers and sisters, this reminds me of me. Indeed, it ought to bring to our remembrance, I, I hope, what is a former manner of life for people in this room. Indeed, that was the culture in which Titus was set. It was the culture in which these new fledgling churches were birthed, was birthed, and now, uh, Father, you want Titus to get things in order and to focus on the things that are, in your mind, the priority. And so, Lord, we pray that this study today might help us a little bit more to understand what really is your heart in all of this. And so, we thank you for it. I pray that you give clarity as I teach the things that I've studied, that you would give a receptive heart to each one who is hearing today. And God, by your Holy Spirit's power, you would do what you do with your gospel. It is the power to save and also to sanctify. And I pray that that would take place today. We give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. What is the most important thing to God. That's not rhetorical. I want you in your mind to answer that. What is the most important thing to God? I would imagine that if I did a survey and I went around with a microphone and I asked several of you what the answer would be, you would say something like this. The most important thing to God is that God wants to save people. And certainly, that is right up there. One of the most important things to God is that he came to save people. Why? Because you heard the catalog, okay, of the Cretans. And you might have thought, oh my, that sounds a lot like the American culture in which we live. And you you would be accurate. And so, here's, here's why it's important to God that people be saved. Because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And because God is rich in mercy and because he has a great love with which he loved us even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Then the reminder that we see later in 2, 8, and 9, by grace you have been saved. Not only that, we have been raised up with him. That's the Holy Spirit's work at the moment of salvation. Boom, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise you were seated with Christ in heavenly places even if you didn't feel it which you probably didn't no matter what age you were when you were saved or if you get saved today then that will be the reality and many might say well that is the, that that's that's why god that's what keeps his if he had blood that's what would keep his blood popping I mean, that's the most important thing to God. But the primary benefit, listen to this, we've talked about it before, it's a nuance that we desperately need in our culture. The primary benefit of salvation is not for us. The primary benefit of salvation is for God. The next verse, we, we finished with, chap, with chapter 2 in Ephesians, verse 6, that, that marvelous statement about our salvation. Now, look and see why it is so important to God, so that in the coming ages, that was from that time of the cross all the way down to now, and it will be forever in the coming ages, here's what God is doing in saving people he might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus didn't just come, He did, but He didn't just come to save you from your sins as an individual. And most of us, and I, people have always blamed this on the American culture, I think this is just a human thing. That we always individualize our salvation and, and, and even our growth in Christ and even our relationship to the church is largely individualized. But, but here is my theme today growing out of what Paul is telling Titus God didn't save you as an individual only. He came to create or to build. I I like that term less, but it's accurate. I don't want to get out of the organic nature of the church. He came to create something that you and I would be eternally a part of. That is dear to his heart. And it's called the church. Said another way, are you getting this? Are you hearing it? The most important thing to God is not you and your happiness that you do realize if you do truly get saved. And I'm talking about ultimate happiness, joy. We all know that. But the primary reason is he wants to manifest his own glory through the church and your joy as you are saved and joined to the church. What is the chief end and purpose of man? What is, as an individual, what is your chief end and purpose? You know this from the old confessions of the faith the faith the westminster shorter confession and others to glorify god and to enjoy him forever and you will not do that individually alone you will only do that in context with his church universal and with his church local so today here's a big word Third and fourth graders, listen up. This may show up as a question in our adventure club this coming Wednesday night. We are stuttering, studying, stuttering maybe. We are stutter, studying, I did it again. We are studying the doctrine of the church. Well, that helped to get your attention, okay? The doctrine of the church, which is called ecclesiology. That's a big word, ecclesiology. I see some of our students writing it down. Ecclesiology, that's what we're talking about today. And I can just, well, I can't really see. My contacts are kind of blurry. But um, I can just imagine that in a lot of churches, if the preacher stood up and say, I'm talking about the church today, that eyes would cross. There would be a zoning out. I am saying to you, based on this passage of Scripture, I hope that I am exegeting this properly, that the uppermost thing in the mind of God is His church. This is not a sermon to try to get you who are visiting to join our church. But it is a message growing out of Scripture on the importance. And I plan on detailing that and showing you why in God's mind, It really is the most important thing. You and I need to be saved, no question about that, but only so that we can become a part of what he is doing in setting apart a people to worship and to love and to serve him through all eternity. So, first point, we're only going through two. Let's hit it running. For a church to be healthy... It must be set in order and have godly leaders, plural. We talked about this. Verse 5, let's go back to that. This is why, this is Paul speaking, this is why, Titus, I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. So there was something amiss. There was something that remained to be done in all of the towns Remember last week we said that in every town there was a church. And then to do what? You almost say instead of and, by would be a better word. So that you might put into order what remained by appointing godly, let's put that down, godly elders in every town or church as I've already directed you. I don't know that this means that Titus was reluctant or that he had been doing something else. It's just that this was a reminder, an apostolic, divinely appointed reminder. Hey, don't we all need those from time to time? To do what he had been called to do. Let me, let me kind of paraphrase what I think is Paul's heart here. Titus, I am, I am deeply concerned about something. He was never worried But he was deeply concerned. I've already directed you, Titus, and now I command you to focus, get this, on one thing the church. Because it's on my heart, and the reason it's on my heart is because it's on God's heart. Now, I find this stunning especially in our evangelical culture today. Paul could have told him, this, this is a hot button today, Titus, you need to evangelize the rest of the island. That would be a good cause. Get out there and share the gospel. Evangelize those people who are lost. He didn't say that. By the way, he knew that a healthy church, we'll see this in a minute, a healthy church evangelizes. We're not trying to get lost people in. We're trying to get the saved people to get sanctified and holy and and, and so in love with Jesus, they'll be sharing and they'll be evangelizing. You will be evangelizing. So he didn't say that. He didn't tell Titus to mount a church planting movement. Titus, I want you to go to this seminar to study CPM, church planting movements, and I want you to go plant churches. He didn't, now, I may be meddling here, but I I just need you to know this. He didn't tell Titus to leave Crete and go to another church someplace else because the things in the churches in Crete weren't quite what they needed to be. Are you following what I'm saying? There is a time to leave a church. And only you and God can be the determiner of that time. But I fear that today in our culture, and I've told people this, uh, particularly other pastors, fellow pastors, how's your church after COVID? And I've said, wow, there is a lot of fluidity in churches today. And there is a lot of fluidity. Some of that is probably a good thing, but some of that grows out of maybe some things that are not quite as good and we just need to be discerning Paul could have said Titus things I said it at the beginning things are a mess in crete look at those churches here's what here's what I, I need you to do go to Ephesus man I've already written a letter to Timothy he's already got he's doing the stuff there you'll find it a lot easier to Place to be. Or go to Corinth. You know, they had a lot of problems, but they're getting their problems together. They're getting their act together. He didn't say that. He said, Titus, you've been put here for a specific purpose, and what I need you to do is not to run from the challenge. I'm giving you the tools that you need and go get into the battle and confront sinful people and help them. Here's another one. He didn't tell Titus. And th- this, is, this is an interesting phenomenon. that goes back about to the late 1800s. He didn't tell Titus, the church is not doing, and then fill in the blank, evangelism, discipleship. Uh, I could just go down the line. So, Titus, here's what I want you to do. You're a great leader. You're a visionary. I want you to go out and start a parachurch ministry. Okay, let me just say right up front, I am not against parachurch ministries unless... They are not relating to the local church and putting themselves under the authority of local churches. We do our mission work through different para church ministries. But I want to put out something. We're going to talk about this a little bit more with some of the details about this. Para church. Para means alongside. Well, that's good because a lot of, do you know what I'm talking about? Para-church ministries. Let me give you one of the biggest ones that we're related to. The Southern Baptist Convention. Yes, we are related to the Southern Baptist Convention. That is a para-church. Oh, it started as a kind of a small thing coming alongside, primarily for missions, and it has blossomed. I said last week, structure is okay as long as we are not living as a church to support the structure. The structure is supposed to help the church. Just so you'll know and realize the SBC is a para-church. Now, what they would say, you talk to any one of them, well, we come alongside the church. But there's another nuance that we don't often think of. Not only is a para-church ministry, it could be alongside. We want it alongside. The ministries that we support are alongside But add another word to that. A parachurch ministry, by definition, is outside the local church, which means how do you bring church discipline on the Southern Baptist Convention in the local church? Paul could have told Titus, go start a parachurch ministry. He didn't. What did he tell him to do? He said, Titus, I love, I love the church. I love the church. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to these individual churches that are a part of the universal church, the body of Christ that will live forever in eternity. But I want you to go to them because God loves them and because Jesus died for the people that make up. They're part of the body. They're the members of the body of that church church. And I want you to help them. Now, here's a question. I started out by the question, what does God love? And I think I've answered that question. By the way, just check it out, Scripture. You don't have to agree with me, but you really ought to agree with Scripture. Shouldn't we love what God loves? Okay, let let me give you this and show you just once again, shouldn't we love what God loves? In another place, Paul would tell the leaders, be careful how you build the church, 1 Corinthians 3.10. This passage has long been used for individual Christians. It can be applied to that. Individual Christians to not build your life with worthless stuff, wood, hay, stubble build it with precious stuff that's going to last into eternity. You might be saved, individual Christians. Your stuff will be burned up, but you'll be saved so as through fire. This is really, Paul was talking to the church, and here's what he said to leaders that, that verifies this. According to the grace of God given to me as like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation. Paul planted those churches. Now, by the way, they also could have come into being after the day of Pentecost. Go back into Acts chapter 2, not right here, but if you read who, who was there on the day of Pentecost when Peter was preaching, there were creeds there. Maybe they came back. Maybe they helped start churches and that kind of thing. So Paul is just saying, I laid the foundation. By the way, what was the foundation? The gospel. And someone else is building on it, And he could almost make this personal to Titus or to Marty or to the elders, to Phil, who just got up here and and, and shared with us at the very beginning. Let each one be very, very careful how he builds on it. Titus, be careful how you build the church. Don't bypass them. Don't write them off because they're not everything they need to be Do what you can as a leader to help the churches get healthy and do what they were designed to do. And the key that he said here, we we really spent a lot of time on this last week. He said they have no godly leaders. It's not just elders, it's godly, it's qualified elders. There are no godly leaders in place, appoint some. And then he goes on in the description that I read. I don't know that you saw the breakout. Hopefully, we'll get to that, the Lord willing, unless he comes back. Next week, next Sunday, we'll get to the breakout of that. There were not only immature believers who were buying into the false teachers. There were false teachers that had arisen, and he, he calls them out by name. He calls them the circumcision party. We'll talk more about that next week. It didn't, doesn't mean that they were having a party for circumcision. It meant like the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, a group that has a particular set of beliefs, and we'll, we'll talk about that more next week. So, Titus is told, love the church enough to confront. Love the, and you know if you do, if you love the church, you, you'll come alongside a brother or a sister or an elder Paul Timothy gives instructions or Paul gives Timothy instructions back in 1 Timothy of how to do that don't be afraid to strongly rebuke we'll get to that next week but they needed to get things right church what do we mean by that word Sometimes when I hear somebody use the word church, I immediately go back to a great theological statement made by Inigo Montoya. (laughs) If you've never seen that masterpiece, The Prince's Bride. But remember the guy, I can't even remember the villain's name. He kept saying, inconceivable. And finally, Inigo Montoya said, you keep using that word. I do not think that word means what you think it means. Same way with church. The church is not a building. I still hear it and I know that most of you out there have pretty good theology. You'll tell the kids don't run in the Church. Don't do this in the church. Thank you. I got some help over here. What do we mean? The church is not a building. The church is not... Now, there is a definition of a church. This is a structure. This is an auditorium. I... Early when I came, I did something and I offended some people who wanted, they, they really disagreed with my statement that it's not a sanctuary. A sanctuary is when, you know, you, like, like when you go to the zoo, you have the bird sanctuary. The birds can't get out, and that's not what the church is. That's not what this building is. You can get out. We want you to get out. At the end of the sermon, and we want you to go preach the gospel after you've been built up. So the church. this is not a sanctuary, it's an auditorium. It's a nice auditorium. And uh, yeah, we use it for a lot of different things. The church is the body of Christ. Do, do, do any of you remember? Now guys, I don't know if you're old enough to remember. I, some of you, okay, come on, let's do this. Put your fingers together like this, come on. You, you know that this, this is some great doctrinal, teaching on ecclesiology don't you Lowell you remember this okay say it with me here's the church here's the steeple open the doors and see all the people that is the worst theology in the world I I changed it okay I made I I looked for it online. I couldn't find it. I thought, surely somebody has corrected that terrible ecclesiology. (laughs) Here is a building. On top is a steeple. Open the doors. Come on, open the doors, guys. The church is the people. Somebody already said it over there. Now, that's sound doctrine, and there are so many things like that that we need to get right, and that's one of the basic differences between the church as a building and an organization like most people see it, and a church that is alive. It's not that buildings and structures and organizations are unimportant. I I hope you're not hearing me say that. But let's get the difference in our minds and in our hearts that you are the church that's meeting in this building. Today, Heritage Baptist Church is a name. You are the church of Jesus Christ, the body of believers, joined together because the Holy Spirit put you into the body universal. And we ask you to come and be a part of the church local. And there are other local churches out there. Make sure you pick a good one, a Bible-teaching church. If, in fact, you are here and looking for someplace like that, that's so vitally important. Paul loved the church because... Are you ready? I don't know where you're going to write this down because I've got nine things. I was going for ten. These will be quick. I'm just going to give you the Scripture, and you can write down one word. If you need my notes, you you can ask me later. Here's why Paul loved the church so much. Number one, number one, there is no other, I'll use several words, no other organization, institution, or entity created by God but his church. There is no other. Jesus Christ said this in Matthew 16, 18, I tell you, you're a Peter on this rock. I will build, not the church. Whose church? He said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's through eternity, folks. And then Acts chapter 14, after they had preached the gospel, they returned strengthening and encouraging. They appointed elders for them in every church. The church is the only institution organization, entity, however you want to call it, organism created by God. In other words, the church is not man-made. It is made by God. To go back to what I said a few moments ago, parachurches are man-made. There is no parachurch that has been instituted by God. I'm not saying that they're sinful or evil, But man instituted those. Second thing, a second truth the church is the only institution entrusted by God with the gospel. Put gospel down, if you care to. The church is the only institution. Now, I know that there are a lot of parachurch ministries that say they're doing a lot with the gospel, but the gospel was not given. I've said this over and over again to the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. It wasn't. It was given to the church. And can we organize together to do the work of missions and evangelism? Sure, we can. But we've got to remember, and that's why several weeks ago I said, what would happen if the church became the missionary to send out people? So Jesus was giving the Great Commission, and he's giving it to the church. Acts eight, he did the same thing. You shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost. He gave it to the church. Do you realize that the church is ultimately God's only plan for the dissemination of the gospel and the fulfillment of the great commission? story is told of angels after Jesus was ascended on high. And uh, they were talking, just talking about everything that had happened. Wow, Lord, you, you left this church. It's just a little group of people. They don't seem very strong. Well, I have been with them. I've taught them. Yeah, but Lord, look at their, their leaders. I mean, they they vanished when things were tough, you know. I've restored them. And he went back and forth. And finally, one angel said, Lord, if the church fails, what's your backup plan? And Jesus said, there is no other plan. The church is the only institution that should heighten our awareness of that. A third thing, there is no institution higher than the church. No institution higher than the church. Nothing. You say, well, wait, wait, wait. You know, what about families and... You know, families and marriages will not be eternal in heaven. They won't, they won't exist in eternity as families. The only thing that will exist as an entity is the church. He is the head of the body, the church. This ought to up the ante in our thinking. Husbands, love your wives. And here's the key as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is not a sermon on husbands, but think of what would happen if husbands just took for real that statement. Christ is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. He gave himself up for her. Why? So that he might present the church to himself in all of her splendor. Here's a fourth thing. The church is the only institution where the authoritative truth is found. Now, be careful because the Catholic church likes to use this too. And they'll say, that's about us. No, the church, it's the only place where authoritative truth is found. You will not find it in the education systems of the world. You will not find it in the most brilliant scientists. You will not find it in governments. You will not find it in psychologists and psychiatrists. The one place that God has ordained that authoritative truth is deposited is in the church. Paul said this. We went over this when we went through 1 Timothy. In case I'm delayed, I write to you so you'll know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. The fifth thing, I told you you're going to run through these. I want you just to get those. Write down a key word. The church, you ready for this? Is the only place that God dwells. And for those who, who still think that this is a sermon on a structure, something to join, that kind of thing, we're, we're talking about high and holy things that have been in the mind of God since before the world began. Someone might say, well, wait, 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 what about where two or more are gathered? I will be there in the midst of them. What is the context of that? Matthew 18, what's the context of it? What is it? The church. Now, 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 wait a minute, Pastor. The, The Holy Spirit lives in us individually, but uniquely. The expression of the dwelling place of God on earth and in eternity is the church in a unique way. God dwells. In the church. It's the only place God dwells. That's why a parachurch can't say it dwells. No. If you're in your church, if you're submitted to your church and you yes, you can say that then. Paul reminded the Ephesians you're no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the very cornerstone. And then in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, he said, did you not know? And again, I know this can be individualized, but primarily it is for the body. It's for the church. It's all plural. Let me read it for you the way it's written. Do y'all not know that y'all are God's temple and that the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, dwells in y'all. I I don't understand that fully. I can't describe it to you completely, but it is biblical truth. Here's another one. The church is the body in the fullness. Write down fullness of God in Christ. The church wow, we are the fullness of God in Christ. He put all things under His feet. The Father put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Him as the head over all things to the church. That's all things, folks. He gave Him to the church, which is His body, the fullness. He's talking about the church, which is the fullness of Him who fills all in all. I, that, write down that, that, those two verses. That, that is a stunning reality of the wonder of the church. The church is the body of Christ. It is the fullness of Christ on earth. And you look around and you look at just ordinary average people and you say, wow, how could that be? It is a supernatural reality. Three more things, all right? You ready? Write down the word Gospel. The church is the goal of the gospel. The church is the goal of the gospel. I said that at the very beginning. Many people think that the goal of the gospel is just to get individuals saved. And then they're just wandering out there. Freelancers. Lone Ranger Christians. I don't have to be a part of a church. Oh my, I've dealt with that so often through the years. The goal of the gospel is the church. The church. Ephesians 3.6, the mystery, written before the ages, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Piggybacking on that, write down the word love. There is no other institution loved and sanctified than the eternal bride of Christ. No other. No other loved and sanctified. No other institution other than the, the, the church, local and universal. Okay? Ephesians 5, 25. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We saw this a minute ago that he might sanctify her. Who's the her? The church, of which you are a part of if you're a Christian, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, which he's going to do on that day without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And there's one last thing. This is the ninth thing. I did my best to find 10. had to be satisfied with nine. But this is the, the capstone of it all. There is no other place, write down the word glory, Wow, please hear. God shows his glory. You go outside, and the morning is just right for the clouds to be that, that marvelous combination of blue and pink. And, and it's just magnificent. Glory. The birth of a child. Glory. Just I could just go on and on with how God glorifies him. But listen to this. There is no other institution loved and sanctified, excuse me, whereby God manifests His glory and eternal purpose other than the church. And it's right there in Ephesians 3.10. Through the church. And again, ordinary people. Saved, set apart, being sanctified. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities. You're not just sitting here in a building, folks. this This is a picture. The rulers and this this means the spiritual rulers and authorities are taking notice of the church at Heritage. Yeah, this group, some who are not here in this little building, in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose. This was not an afterthought. This was not plan B, the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, the Lord. And that's why the people who say to me, as they have in the past, Pastor, I like you. Usually, Maybe sometimes they say, I don't like you. My church is the golf course. My church is the river. Ooh, glory. Glory out on that river if you're catching them. My church is, and you can just fill in the blank, my my, my church is the basketball court. My church is the Razorbacks and Razorback Stadium on a Saturday afternoon. That better not be your church. Or you're going to be sorely, sorely disappointed in the outcome. See, God has given the church some things to do. Here, here's basically, what, it, what does the church do then? We meet together and we hear the Word of God rightly preached. okay. Now, can a parachurch organization do that? Yeah, they can preach the Word of God. And then the second thing that the local church or the, the, the local church does, that no other institution has been given to do, is to do the two ordinances left by the Lord Jesus Christ for us to do as a picture of the gospel. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Parachurch ministries don't do that because that's when they'll say we're not the church. No, you're not. Hopefully you've come alongside. I know you're outside, but hopefully you're lining up. So, first thing we do, Ephesians 4, we build up the body of Christ, okay? That's our our job on Sunday mornings, not to attract lost people, but to build up the body of Christ so that the body of Christ, I said this a few moments ago, can go out into the highways and byways and the hedges of the world and proclaim the excellency of the one who has saved us. Second point. Godly leaders must hold God's Word firmly, instructing saints and rebuking deceivers. I said we're going to get more into this next week. The Lord willing, he, the elder, must hold firmly to the trustworthy Word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Folks, the gospel contained in the word is the only means of salvation and sanctification. Amen. Gospel that's why we, we, we preach the gospel and you'll hear the gospel first Corinthians 15 3 and 4. We, we always try to point back to the gospel if we're going to be a gospel centered church and a Christ, centered church, then we believe that the gospel is our only hope for you to get whole and healthy, to get saved from your sins, okay, that's the first part. And then lo and behold, that whole process of sanctification that takes place after justification, you're already forgiven, no one can take that away from you, but now starts the process of God through the Holy Spirit and the Word, applying these things to you so that you can grow into Christ-likeness. And so that's the first responsibility of the elders. And then the the other responsibility through the Word is to guard against the poison of false doctrine. We're going to get into that again next week. What do we do? How do you guard against it? By giving the Word. That's all I know to do. There are too many cults out there. Too many aberrations they come across my desk every day. My my email inbox. There, there are all kinds of false doctrine that come through almost on a daily basis. And here's, here's the only thing that we can use to help you. All scripture is inspired by God. Do you believe that the Bible? Please answer this in your heart. Do you really believe that the Bible is inerrant? and infallible. Do you? That's huge, because the Bible says that it is. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for doing four things. Now, this is not just random things. This is a continuum. Here's what the Bible, what we try to to help people in our discipling process, it's profitable for teaching you how to walk on the narrow path, okay? Okay, What happens if you get off the path? Do you just tell somebody you're a bad person? No. You reprove them with the Bible. If they're they're in the ditch, tell them biblically you're in the ditch. I'm loving you by telling you you're in the ditch. But you don't leave them there. What do you do? The Bible is profitable for correcting them, getting them back on the narrow path. And then the Bible is profitable for training in righteousness because guess what? If you're like I am, you're going to get into the ditch from time to time. And you need the reproof, the correction, the training in righteousness so that you can grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you can recognize false doctrine when it comes up. I ask you, do you believe in the inerrancy and the infallibility of the Word of God? Do you? James Montgomery Boyce, pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church, wonderful preacher. You need to listen to some of his sermons. And he said this. He said in in a former day, he pointed back to some previous Presbyterians like Machen and others who fought the battle for inerrancy. He said, "In our day, the biggest battle, and I, I really believe this, that you will fight is not over whether or not this is the word of God. The biggest battle you will fight is, is this sufficient? And that's why I point to Second Peter chapter one, that his promises from His word give us everything that we need. God's Word is not just infallible, inspired, inerrant. It is also sufficient. And that's why my only hope, I I go back to this again and again and again, and as weak as it may be. Heritage, my only hope is not to point you to things that might be good, but they're not gospeled. My only hope is to preach the Word. In difficult times, what do you do? Are these difficult times? When people are turning their backs on truth and reality, in difficult times, what do you do? You preach the Word. You be ready to preach the Word in season and out of season, reproving, rebuking, exhorting with complete patience and understanding. That's our only hope, and that helps us. That helps us when somebody says, hey, here's a book, here's a devotional book that I've been reading, and I think it can help you, and you realize that this book was written by someone who said, you know, the Bible is good, but I wanted something more, and I wrote down these thoughts to give you. Either politely give that book back or throw it in the trash can. You don't need anything more, even if they're good thoughts from other people. Just the Word of God. Avoid things. I I got something in my email box, and it was promoting, guess what, a book. This author has already had six, I think, six books. But here are some words that that he used. The mystery. Mm. Everybody wants a good mystery. Hidden truths. This is the key that you've been looking for. The puzzle is going to be revealed. And all you have to do is spend $20 on my book. Because I didn't answer it in the first six. And those who believe like the Reformers did, who saw the religion around them adding things to the Word, and I might add to Jesus Christ, they said, no, it's not the Bible plus. It is sola scriptura. And on this we stand. So where does it end up? It ends up where it starts. Paul said in this book, here's what I'm revealing to you is of first importance. This is the gospel. Christ died for sins according to the Scripture. Christ, Jesus Christ, who is God, the first person of the Trinity. I mean the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Christ came to earth, lived a perfect life. He died in the place of sinners. Substitutionary atonement. Do you realize all the good theology that's taught in that verse? Christ died, not just as an example, but died for sins, died for sinners. Not just to make them happy, but to make them holy. He was buried. He really did die, and then he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, Because without the resurrection, his death means nothing. And with the resurrection, he gives us the power. He sent the Holy Spirit to take this book and apply it to our lives so that we can be more like Christ. God loves the church, Paul did too. He told Timothy, excuse me, Titus and Timothy, love the church enough to get the things that need to be in order, in order, by appointing elders who will hold firmly to the truth, teaching people, developing people, who delight in God, and then who go out from those doors to declare His glory from our neighborhoods to the nations. Would you bow your heads, please? I want to just say a word and then pray. If you're a believer, I hope these words have resonated with you, that you go away with a deeper appreciation of that which you are a part of, the local church. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ. I hope that today you've seen something of your own sinfulness before a holy God. You've seen that only Jesus is the Savior of the world, the one who was sent by the Father, who died in the place of sinners. That's what the gospel says. By believing in Jesus and turning away from your sin, turning by faith, to Jesus and his finished work on the cross, you can be justified. All your sins forgiven, wiped out. But remember, that only brings you up to zero. There is a life after that of sanctification where that the righteousness of Christ is also applied to you in working it out daily is a part of what we do. According to the word, empowered by the Spirit. So I hope that if you're here today and you don't know Christ, that today you will call out to Him that you will be saved. Lord, save me. It's an easy enough prayer. I repent. I turn away from playing God and fighting God. I trust in Christ alone. Maybe that's your prayer today. I hope for some that it is. And I'll be here at the the front if it is your prayer. I'd love to talk to you. You need to share it with someone. Believer, we know that uh, God has a lot yet in store for us until he comes. Christ comes. And so let's be living every day in light of that. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul and, uh, Lord, how he spoke to Titus and still speaks to us. Help us, Lord, to have that love for your church, your bride, even as you love it. And so we thank you for that and pray that you would seal these words to our hearts and now help us as we uh, complete our worship, at least in these moments, with singing and then going out. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.